Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Okay, back in Jonah this week. Jonah lost at sea because we are walking into a book full of lost people. Many of them are going to get found, and some of them we're still unsure about. Um, Last week, we started off with three ways that we should expect to be changed as we study Jonah together. The first of which is that we should be turned from our spiritual pride. That is to say that if we somehow believe that we are in and of ourselves worthy of salvation and that other people around us eh, aren't quite there yet, we're doing it wrong, okay? And so we should be turned from our spiritual pride. The other side of that coin is to say that we should, at the end of this, be seeking to show... T, could you turn the lights on? Sorry, I forgot to turn them on this morning. Seeking to show compassion to others. And then lastly, we should be wanting to know more about this God who bends all of creation towards our salvation. That's a bold statement. That's because it is a bold statement. And yet, time and time again, in Jonah, we see him bending all of creation towards Jonah's salvation. And we'll see how Jonah reacts to that. And our big idea for our series is this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And it is yours in Jesus. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And it is yours in Jesus. Jesus. So to get us started, I was going to go through Jonah's, Jonah chapter 1 and 2 today, uh, but I can't do that. So we're just going to give that up right now, and we're just going to start off with Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. The word of the Lord here is calling Jonah out. Now, we looked at last week in 2 Kings. He is a prophet uh, speaking to the king of the northern part of Israel. And he has a checkered history. And it's okay. Yeah. He has a checkered history. And in that checkered history, uh, once again though, we see this, this word of the Lord coming to him. The Lord is desiring to use him. And that word, as we see at everywhere else in the Bible as well, comes in two forms. Okay, The word of the Lord comes in two forms. Either it comes in the form of judgment, or it comes in the form of salvation. And here, very apparently, and probably from Jonah's perspective, as we'll see much later on in our story, this might be exciting for him, that the word of the Lord is coming in the form of judgment. 
or rather in the form of law, if we wanted to say it like that. A law that these Ninevites have not lived up to. They have been disgusting, barbarous people taking whole nations by force and through brutality. And the blood of their victims is called out to the Lord. Now He's going to do something about it. Other prophets also spoke out against Assyria, against the Ninevites here, which was the capital city, Nineveh, of the Assyrian nation. And yet, something curious happens. Uh, very, very literally here, this evil that has come up before the Lord uh, could say this disaster of Nineveh has come up before the Lord. Here, here is a human civilization, uh, people that God created for a good purpose, and they've totally twisted it around. Literally, the disaster that is Nineveh has come up before the Lord's eyes. And he wants Jonah to go and tell them about the judgment that is at hand. But, what happens next? But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So, he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. I can't even say it three times fast. I wouldn't suggest that you do say it three times fast. But why does it say Tarshish three times here in the text? The author of Jonah is trying to get something across to us. Um, look, this would be like us being sent to Iraq or Iran, and then we're going to say, you know what? I like the food in Spain better. I think I'll go there. Right? Right? This is what Jonah's doing. He's being sent into the heart of enemy territory. And could it be that he's scared for his life? Possibly. But I think we're going to see later that it's something more than that. He should be scared for his life. You don't just walk up to a group of people and say, you're all going to burn in 40 days and not expect some sort of retribution for this. But this does not seem to be the primary place where Jonah is fearing. And yet, with intent, he gathers up enough money to jump ship, <laughs> rather to jump on a ship, and to go to Spain instead. Now the curious thing here that Jonah does as well is twice it's repeated that he wants to leave and to flee the presence of the Lord. And this is really our first clue about what Jonah's intent is and what he fears. Right? Now we're going to see from these sailors in just a couple of minutes. And last week we talked about the fierce tribalism that Jonah is going to show in this story. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He's treating Yahweh, the creator of everything, as some local tribal God. And that if he just escapes his own borders, God will forget about him and not hold him to what his word is requiring of him. 
Jonah thinks, if I can just get out of here, surely I'll be free from God. I'll be free from God's demand upon my life. And I'll be free from going and giving good news to those godless people. We see this too often today, right? This is why people leave church. Okay, not all the reasons. Some people have good reason to leave church. We call those alumni of the faith and of the church, right? People that have been hurt by the church. People that have been either hurt by a pastor or hurt by other members of the flock. We know this. And these are the types of people that we should take the greatest amount of care with. Because there is something so devoid of Christ's character and what they have experienced that we need to treat them as injured lambs that have stumbled away from the flock. We need to nurse them back to health, to love them, and to carefully bring them back in. But then there's others who hear the word of the Lord and they say, nope, I'm not giving up that freedom. Nope, that sounds nice. I like all the outcomes that you're preaching, Pastor, but the way that it's going to take for me to get there, I'd really rather not. Those are the people, that, like Jonah, and let's be honest, like you and me, that hold on to little corners of our life, whether it be sin or a certain comfort where we do separate ourselves from those godless people. That we say, you know what, if I just take this foot out of church and I keep this foot in, then I can flee from the presence of the Lord. And He's not going to have authority over my life here. He's not going to have authority over this sin. He's not going to have authority over this thing that He's commanded me to go and do. But we so foolishly, like Jonah have fallen into this idea of thinking that he's just my own personal God. He's not the God of the whole universe that all things are placed under his feet as we read about in Colossians. And so, Jonah flees. It's significant that God chooses to locate himself uh, for Jonah in the temple, right? That is absolutely significant. And Jonah sees the significance of it. But what Jonah has done is he has said, that's my God. And no one else is going to have him. That God has blessed me and promises me this. And no one else is going to get my promise. No one else is going to get my blessing. And it is true that God chooses to locate himself in places. He's not bound to those places. He's not tied down in those places. And yet, at the end of the service today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and there, God promises to be. Jesus promises to be for you in that meal. He promises to be there to strengthen you, to encourage you, to remind you of what He has done for you. He chooses to be there, here, for us, and for Christians all around the world today. And yet we know that we cannot run from the Lord. If we're honest with ourselves, 
if we stop nursing that hurt that we have from those people, if we stop nursing that sin that we want to hold on to, we would be reminded that God is everywhere. Where is He? He's there and He's waiting for you there. He's where He's called you to now and He's where He's called you to next. And you cannot run from Him. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Now, here's a couple of details that we can't pass over. Mariners, okay, these aren't weekenders that have gotten a sailboat and they somehow get stuck out and they need sea rescue to go and get them, okay? These are mariners. These are people that make their living from the boat and from the water. And what are they doing? They're throwing their living overboard to try to save their lives. Okay, they're going into massive amounts of debt because they can't navigate a storm when they navigate storms all the time. And so here they are. They're facing something that they, maybe they don't understand that it's supernatural quite yet, but they understand that it's significant. So that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Right? They each started crying out to their gods. To the God of commerce, or the God of the sea, or whoever their little family god or their tribal deity was. They started crying out to their ancestors. They started crying out to the God of their fathers. Hoping... Each one of them crying out to all the gods that they had sitting on their mantle place at home. Save me. Save me. Save me. And yet nothing happened. And they hurled the cargo and so they got rid of their livelihood. <laughs> but Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Now, some commentators say that he is sleeping the sleep of sorrow. That he's mourning over his sin. Maybe. Maybe he's sleeping because he finally thinks that he's fled from God. And that now he'll be okay. Or maybe he gets seasick and he realizes that this ship's going down and he'd be just as happy with that too. No point in waking up. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So everyone on the ships crying out to their God. These are scared sailors, probably censored. I don't know if he called him a sleeper. Maybe he did, okay? There were probably some other words tossed in there. These are sailors, right? And he says, Everyone else is crying out to their God. What are you doing? You're sleeping. Please cry out to your God. Maybe if we can get the whole team of gods, the whole pantheon, the whole group of them together, they will save us. 
Maybe, just maybe, they'll give thought to us. And we will not perish. Then they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots. That we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So I love this, right? We have this picture of this crazy storm. They're throwing stuff overboard. Everyone's probably crying out, speaking in tongues, praying to whatever God may be. And then all of a sudden they they group together and they're like, all right guys, come on in here. We're going to cast lots. We're going to pull straws. We're going to throw dice. Whatever the case may be. Good gamblers these sailors are, right? And so they are prepared with lots to be cast. And just then... The cast falls on Jonah. Um, We read, uh, well, sorry, clearly here the sailors thought that Jonah was just totally careless. He actually didn't care for their welfare at all. Everyone else was working for the benefit of the group, right? But not Jonah. He was working for the benefit of himself. But we see here that we read in um, Proverbs chapter 16, that even the casting of lots, even in casting lots, decisions are made by the Lord. And so here, we see that played out quite literally. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they start questioning him. Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? All right, so, so let's start thinking about all the things they're asking him here. Is it you, or is it something that someone's done to you? Is it a curse that someone's laid on you? What job do you do? What's your mission in life? And where do you come from? What people are you? What is your country? What people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. So he leads off not with the question they asked, his occupation, He doesn't lead off with the fact that his God is the God. He leads off with, I am a Hebrew. I'm a very important people. That's who I am. I'm from a people blessed, unlike you sailors. You guys are all going to go down with the ship, but God's promised to save me. I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. (laughs) Now, the sailors here, typically when it would come to men like these, uh, throughout all the ancient world, you have your different God for your different day of the week, right? You have your God of harvest, you have your God of war, you have your God of commerce, you have your God of fire and wind and rain and all that good stuff, and you got to cry out to all of them. But Jonah just says, Yeah, my God, he's kind of got that wrapped up. And you can imagine the sailors now. Okay, first of all, we had to wake you up. Second of all, your God is in charge of the land and the sea and the heavens. And you're not crying out to him. Then it's very clear how little he cared for their well-being. How little he cared that they would be saved from this storm that was meant to wake him up. And yet he refused. He made them wake him up. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? 
For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. <laughs> They're saying, you can't flee from the God of land and sea on the sea, stranger. Why have you done this to us? Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. So finally, Jonah here is doing something that is going to benefit these sailors. He's saying, yeah, just throw me overboard, then you'll be fine. Does Jonah know this is true? I don't know. I, maybe. He knows who his God is, right? He knows it is true that he is the God of the land and the sea and the heavens. And yet, Jonah here has done a very strange thing. He's basically given himself up for human sacrifice. He's saying to these sailors, sailors, look. He's not saying to them, look, sailors, if I just repent, if, I, if you guys will just turn the boat around and we'll start heading back and I'll, I'll go to Nineveh, um, then all will be forgiven and the sea will quiet down. In fact, let's just tell God right now that's what we're going to do, and this whole thing will stop. No. In fact, what Jonah does is he kind of reinforces their ideas about what a God is and what a God requires. He says, no, give me up. Sacrifice me, because I'm so selfless. Is he? It works. They throw him into the water. They throw him into the water, and everything quiets down. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard. Why? They weren't going to throw in this guy that said he was a prophet of the Lord that was fleeing from this great God? They're not dummies, right? They're not going to just say, oh, okay, this is one of this God's servants. We'll just kill him. No, they start rowing hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So here we go. We've got pagan sailors that may have never heard of this Hebrew God before. And they're saying, forgive us. We are turning in our minds. We are repenting. We're calling out to you, God. We're seeking salvation from you, God. And what's Jonah saying? Don't save me. Kill me. Don't send me don't make me preach to these sailors don't make me belittle and repent in front of these sailors don't send me to Nineveh to tell them to repent either because none of these people deserve you God the sailors get it Jonah 
is lost. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. (laughs) Here they are. Now, we don't know all the specifics, right? It's a, it's a tightly knit story. It's a short story that's supposed to hit us with some force. But the picture that we're left with here of the sailors is not only are they repenting with their words, but they're making sure that they're not turning away from their words that second, and they're actually doing what Jonah should have been doing by promising sacrifices to the Lord and giving sacrifices. Not that those sacrifices are like what Jonah wanted by just throwing himself into the water, but it's, again, that picture and that promise of the forgiveness that they would receive if they just turned to God. And they do it. Pagan sailors who just threw Jonah overboard are repenting and they're turning to God. The storm is ceased and they are saved. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah couldn't get out of his calling that easily. Next week, or rather three weeks from now, we're going to be looking at chapters 2 and 3 together. And when we look at chapters 2 and 3, we're going to see that this fish doesn't just digest Jonah, but the Lord preserves Jonah in this fish. And Jonah gets re-sent out. But here, we have God picking Jonah up. He says, Jonah, I'm not letting go of you that easily. You're not let off the hook that easily. You don't get to just kill yourself. (laughs) You don't get to just die when God asks you to do something that you don't want to do. Over and over again, we're going to see the most unlikely of people turning to God. And we're going to see who should be the most likely continuing to turn away from Him. We already talked about what Jesus had to say about Jonah uh, last week. But from our time spent in Mark's Gospel, I can't help but think about the raging storm in which Jesus was out walking on the water, right? And with a word, he quiets it, quiets it. All it takes is a word. And Jesus calms the storm. Here, whether they thought the storm was supernatural or not, the sailors immediately realize that storms don't just disappear. They realize 
that there was a powerful God that with a word could make the storm stop. Just as Jonah could not get away from God, just as Jonah wanted God to only locate himself in Israel with his people, the sailors suddenly realized that this God is located with them. He's there with them, and with a word, he saved them. Jonah was told to take a word of judgment to a pagan people. And instead of giving a word of salvation to these sailors, Jonah decides to not speak any word and to judge those sailors himself. He was willing to put these men to death, essentially. And yet God comes back with another word, a word of salvation, and he calms the storm. And he comes back with a word of salvation <laughs> brought through a fish, and he saves Jonah for the time being too. For you and I here this morning, Jesus calms the storm, right? It may be a supernatural storm out there. Um, it may be a storm that you've caused in your own life. Some sin, some relationship that you've handled really poorly. It could be Something that was small that's turned into great wave after great wave that is smashing you against the shore. And yet here this morning, Jesus locates himself for you in his word that he promises to work through. And he's speaking calm peace for that storm. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.